here. I know we have visitors, and we're glad for your being here. If you are visiting for the first time, you've come on a day when we kind of do a special format. Uh, as was announced before, and as you can see above me, I'm going to, uh, well, at least try to field questions about repentance. Uh, I would like for you to please, if you want to submit a question, and we welcome you doing that. Uh, these guys are passing cards out. Do what? Pass them to the center. The cards, please pass them to the center, and Everton and Wes will collect them. Uh, please try to keep your questions on, repentance, on the subject of repentance for sake of time. Uh, I don't mind answering any questions. And if you do have another question and you turn it in, I'll try to, uh, try to address that in another lesson. But this morning, we're going to talk about the subject of repentance. And we'll start with these that are being handed in. So give me a moment to, to uh, take a look at them. And I'm just going to take them in order as I get them. Some of them may overlap. I don't know. But uh, do the best I can with them. So, let's get started. Question uh, that comes, in fact, there are a couple. After you repent, is it gone forever? And uh, secondly, if you keep committing the same sin and repenting, does God stop listening? Great question to start with, and let me answer that. After you repent, is it gone forever? If you'll turn to Hebrews chapter 8, and you will notice in Hebrews 8 where uh, the writer is quoting God from Jeremiah 13, uh, 13, 31. Got a little dyslexia in my mind there, but he's quoting Jeremiah 31. Anyway, look down in verse 8, and notice the difference in today and the Old Testament covenant that had animal sacrifices. Today we have Jesus' blood that has been shed. But you will notice in this passage, if you'll go down and, uh, oh, especially verse 10. This is the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel in after those days, says the Lord. I'll put my laws in their mind, write them in, the heart, in their hearts. I'll be to them a God. They will be to me a people. And if you'll notice verse 12, I will be merciful in, uh, to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. The truth is we could go on into chapter 9 and we could see that even our conscience can be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Chapter 9 down about verse 14 or so. Yes, when you repent... And God forgives you of your sin, it is gone forever. Now the question is, what if you keep committing the same sin? You know, that was a question that was brought up. If you'll turn over to Matthew chapter 18, Peter brought up a question about that, as a matter of fact, and asked the Lord, um, you know, what about the person that keeps sinning? And especially the one that keeps sinning against me, because that's a lot of times what we would be concerned with. So you'll notice down about verse 21... Peter asked the question of Jesus, How often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times. And Jesus answered that and said, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. And the idea in this passage was completely forgive, keep on forgiving. Um, if you turn over to the book of Luke, and I want to read this passage and get it in here, so this is a good opportunity to do that. But turn over to Luke chapter 17. And notice how Jesus says, uh, begin with me in verse 1. He said to the disciples, it is impossible, but that offenses will come. And this would be real sins, legitimate things that are done against you. But woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were drowned in the sea than if he should offend or cause to stumble one of these little ones. But take heed to yourselves. Notice verse 3. If your brother trespasses against you, rebuke him. 
But if he repents, forgive him. And if he trespass against you, notice, seven times in a day. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but just, I think Jesus is, is making an alliteration here. But if you ever thought about that, just looking at that in a practical sense, somebody sins against you seven times in one day. They come to you and they say, I'm sorry, forgive me. The next hour they do it again. The next hour they do it yet again. The next hour they do it again. Seven times in a day, most of us would get very tired of that. And by the third or fourth time, we'd be like, dude, forget it. You know, you're not really repenting. But no, Jesus said if they do and they repent, forgive them. And notice the apostles' reaction in verse 5, Lord, increase our faith. I mean, you have to have a strong faith to be able to forgive. But yes, if you keep committing the same sin and truly repenting, as the question said, and repenting, does God stop listening? No, God does not stop listening. As long as we are repenting, as long as we are striving to really repent of the sin, God keeps listening. Let me go on, and maybe some more of that will be evident as I answer some other questions. How do you convince someone they need to repent? I'm not sure, but if you figure that out, come and talk to me, because I No. How do you convince someone they need to repent? You, you teach them. You talk to them. You tell them what the Lord says. If they've done wrong, they need to change that. You try to talk to them about how God does not allow us just to simply sweep things under the rug. That it's not enough just to kind of forget about it and not worry about it. And time will take care of it. And all of those things from the standpoint of which most human beings operate. No, God would teach us to repent. Which means to change. To stop doing the thing and begin to do differently. Um, make sure I can read this. Uh, after Christian's baptism. Okay, so we're talking about someone who has been baptized. Do they need to continue repenting? after a trespass against God. Absolutely. Um, you'll look over at Acts chapter 8, you'll see Simon the sorcerer. And Simon obeyed the gospel. He was baptized together with a number of people in Samaria. And yet Simon committed a sin. He wanted to buy the ability the apostles had. And he was wrong in that. And when Peter answered him, and I think it should be about verse 22, <coughs> verse 22 there, he told Simon to repent and pray God or ask God for forgiveness. <coughs> I hope that doesn't bother me. <coughs> Excuse me. Repentance is preached to sinners, and would it be a part of the gospel preached to a sinning Christian? And the answer is yes. We not only repent in order to become a Christian, but I'll say it like this, we continue to repent of the things we do wrong in order to remain one. God would teach us to live a life where we are repenting and changing our actions always to be better and better. What differs a sinning Christian? What is the difference in, in a sinning Christian and a sinner in the world? That's a good question. And mainly the difference is not that they both do not need to repent, they do. The difference is how one goes about being forgiven. A person who has never for, been forgiven of his sins, a person who has never obeyed the gospel, would be like those in Acts 2. And Peter would say to them in verse 38, Repent and be baptized uh, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness, for the remission of your sins. On the other hand, if you have been baptized and you are a child of God, you'd be again like Simon who has been baptized but now he's committed a sin. Repent and ask God for forgiveness. So that would be the difference. Not in what they need to do 
as far as repenting, but how they, they go about doing that and taking care of the sin. Here's a simple question, and I'm glad someone asked it. What is repentance? You know, repentance involves a number of things. And often, people limit the idea of repentance. In other words, they will limit it to uh, regret. I'm sorry for my sins. That's part of repentance. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, if you will. And let's look at a couple of verses here. There is the idea of regret. There's the idea of being sorry for what you've done. But that's not all there is to it. If you'll notice, Paul was talking to the Corinthians. Let me get over there to it. And I'm going to start about verse 7 here. Paul said down in verse 7, he was talking about Titus coming to them. And he said, not by his coming only, but by consolation wherewith he was comforted, etc. Then he says, verse 8, for though I made you sorry with a letter, I made you regret. When I wrote that hard letter of 1 Corinthians, I think he means. He says, though I did repent, in other words, I felt bad, for I perceive that the same epistle has made you sorry, he says. Notice as he goes on, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, notice this, not just that you regretted, but that you sorrowed to repentance. There are two basic terms that are used in the, in the New Testament that are translated often repent. And one means to regret. One means to be sorry. The other means to literally turn around something, change something. So you'll notice Paul is saying here, what I'm rejoicing about is that you didn't just regret when I wrote you that hard letter. In other words, you read it, you saw you were wrong, you felt bad about it. That's not repentance. That's regret. But you sorrowed to repentance. Notice how he goes on to say in verse 10, Godly sorrow worketh, produces, accomplishes, some of your translations say, repentance to salvation. So a person says, what is repentance? Well, it is feeling bad. It is regret. But it is regret that leads you to say, I'm sorry, and to change what you've done. To turn it around, literally or to turn it from what you've been doing. I compare this often to Paul on the road to Damascus. He's going to Damascus to persecute Christians. And what happens is, after he meets the Lord, he turns his whole life. He's sorry for what he's done, but he turns his life around, and that's repentance. How do you deal with the guilt after repentance? That's a good question. Paul, speaking of him felt guilty for what he had done. He repented. He felt sorry. He changed it. He was baptized. His sins were washed away. And I'll mention a specific one, including having killed Stephen. But yet when Jesus said, Paul, I want you to be an apostle, Paul said, Lord, and you can see this in Acts 19, Lord, I, I've done a lot of wrong things. And basically he's saying, I'm not worthy. And when your martyr, Stephen, was killed, I, I was there. He still feels guilty. That has to do with a humble person and our conscience bothering us over what we've done. How do you overcome that? Well, a lot of the kind of thing we're talking about in the theme. Uh, we'll talk about this quarter, dealing with our weakness and being holy in our weakness. You learn to turn to God. You learn to develop a relationship with God. You learn to trust what God says. And so when God says... 
you've been forgiven and your conscience is clear, you learn to believe that. Those are some of the ways you deal with it. And I'm being very short in that answer compared to what the Bible would really say. But uh, incidentally, whoever wrote that, if you want to come and talk to me, um, I've dealt with some things that I did even way back as a teenager that uh, feel very guilty about and have to overcome. So I'd be glad to talk with you. Does repentance have to be among other Christians for strength and prayer only? The answer is no. It does not have to be. And especially if it is one of those things that is, you've just committed it, it is between you and God. I will say this to you, however. If you have sinned against someone else, the best way to restore the relationship that you have with that person is to go to them and honestly say, I did wrong and I'm sorry. It's like Jesus is saying back in Luke 17. You maybe even rebuke somebody. You tell them they're wrong. They turn and repent. They turn back to you is the idea and they repent. And so the idea is uh, you accomplish restoration, if you will, by going to the individual. But it's not always required. And incidentally, especially those things we do alone in private, it's not required that you come forward and make a confession in order to be uh, forgiven of your sin. All right. Um, when you knowingly sin after being saved, and then you later repent, being very sorrowful for deliberately indulging in that sin, does God look at that repentance differently and hold it to your account? That's a great question. And let me answer it like this. I think God always looks at our heart. Got a lot of questions, so we're going to be here at about three o'clock, guys. So. I think God always looks at our heart. If you're deliberately indulging in a sin and you don't care, God knows that. It won't matter how many times you say to God, I'm sorry. It won't matter how many times you come forward and say, I've sinned. If you're doing that and you don't care and you're not giving everything you've got to changing, that's not repentance. It may be a confession. It may be that you feel bad about it. But God looks deeper and looks into the heart. On the other hand, if in your heart you really want to change this thing and you hate what you're doing, and even if you, in a weakness, deliberately indulge in the sin, but you get back up and try to turn it around again, God is looking at that as well. So let's always trust God's love for us as we attempt to change things in our life. Can a person repent of a sin that he continues to commit? And you see these questions, and this is something that uh, we all, I think, as Christians have to deal with. Because some sins we commit, maybe a one-time act in our life, and it's one of those big, huge things, and we overcome, and we go forward, and we never look back. But yet there are plenty of things, and that's why we're talking about, be holy in my weakness. There are plenty of those things that we deal with as a weakness in our life, that we have to not just one time ask forgiveness, but we have to overcome in our lives. So the question is, can a person repent of a sin that they continue to commit? Yes, they can. Seven times in a day, 70 times seven, but you've got to really regret and you've got to really be trying to change. It can't be one of those things that you're saying sort of a, you know, whatever, God forgive me, and with no intention to change it. 
When you repent, you're forgiven of your sins. If you slip up and sin again, the same sin, you ask for forgiveness of, will God continue to forgive you? And that's the same question. Yes, God will continue to forgive you as long as he looks into your heart and sees the real regret and the real intention to repent. (coughs) If one repents and becomes a Christian a day before, um, oh, okay, (laughs) I understand this question. Let's say a person repents, becomes a Christian a day before they do, uh, before they die, do they go to heaven? Let me answer that by saying this. God's criteria for judging us as far as whether we go to heaven is not as simple, I think, as some people want to believe it is. Because we might read in the Bible and we might see God would tell us, if you disobey my law, you die. He told that to Adam and Eve. But there's more to the story, isn't there? We might look in another place and we might see God searching the hearts and reins, that is, looking deep inside me to see what's going on. And we might say, oh, well, God knows my heart. But there's more to the story. We might look in another place and we might realize that God has a record, a book of life. And I don't think it is that in our life and in our weakness, God is constantly writing in Michael White, nah, he's fouled up. Okay, let me write it back in, nah, he fouled up. I think it is that God is able, maybe unlike we are, to look at the whole picture. And the whole picture is what is going on in my life, what is going on in my heart, and what real intention is there to bring my life into harmony with what God wants. And I believe God judges me on that basis. Then God opens the books and says, has Michael obeyed my law? whole thing that includes all of that. If he has, then his name is in the book of life. I know there's a sin, blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, but if a Christian becomes a worshiper of Satan, God says that he's no longer a child. Can he ever repent of the sin? I'm going to take or disagree a little bit with the question. A person is a child of God from the moment that they are baptized into Christ forever. The Bible speaks not only of faithful children, but even 2 Peter 2, and it ought to be about verse 14, I think, accursed children. The idea is that a person can have a child, just like you and I, we can have a child, and that child may even disown us, they may go away from us and live any kind of lifestyle, they will still be our child we will probably still love that child. God certainly will. And so the question here is, let's say that a person has been a Christian, leaves God, abandons God, begins to worship Satan. What's going to happen? Well, that person is going to be lost. If that person does not repent, change that, come back to God and worship God and be obedient to God, they're going to be lost. But they are going to be a child of God that is lost. And so the question, can he ever repent of the sin? Yes. Until his heart is hardened, until there is no hope, he can always repent of the sin. There have been people who have been away from God for years and have come back. And some of you can testify to that. Can someone get true repentance outside the body of Christ? I'm going to answer that simply. No, he cannot. Because true repentance, and I had to deal with this. I was telling someone else about this, about... Uh, Fourteen years ago, when I first came here, I had to deal with this with a young man from Seton Hall. And the idea was, I want to repent, I want to be a Christian, but I don't want to be part of of God's church. And I said, it's not possible. 
Part of repentance is recognizing the need to be in Christ. And the only way to be in Christ is to be part of the body of Christ. And the only way to be part of the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13, is to be baptized into the body of Christ. Or Galatians 3. Um, we have been baptized into Christ and put on Christ. And therefore, we are then part of the body of Christ. Can you pray to God to repent, or does it have to be done publicly? This is the kind of question that is very very much a needed question, because there is a misunderstanding, and, and on, maybe not on the part of anyone here, but on the part of a lot of members of the church, there is a misunderstanding that in order to repent, it requires me to, quote-unquote, go forward, or when we have the invitation song, to come up. Let me explain something about that quickly. Coming up is for several reasons. When you come up, as you see people do from time to time, it is a great practice. It is a biblical practice. It is to ask for prayer, as many people do. I'm struggling. I need prayer. I've sinned. I need prayer. I have a big crisis in my life. I need prayer. Sometimes it is to confess a sin. Um, If I, for example, decide this week to lose my mind and go rob a liquor store and go running off somewhere or whatever, and all of you know that, And then two years from now, I decide I want to change that and I want to be a faithful Christian again. I need to straighten that out with you. I need you to know that I'm no longer the idiot on the run from robbing the liquor store. I'm now faithful to God again. And so I would come here and I would come up here and I would say, you know, I'm coming back to God. Please forgive me. Pray for me, etc., etc. It's a good way to do that. But understand, it is not a formulaic way that is required in order to be forgiven. Hopefully when you sin, you confess your sin to God first, and you ask for forgiveness from God. And then, if you want to enlist the prayers, the encouragement, the forgiveness, etc., of other people, that's why you make it public. That's why you go public with it. Uh, Going back to Luke 17, should I forgive a brother if he does not repent? You may find this a very harsh answer, but the answer is no, you should not. In fact, you can't. And and here's what I mean by that. In the Bible, I don't know of a single passage, and if you know of one, please point it out to me. But I don't know of a single passage of Scripture that says to us, first of all, that God will forgive us without repenting. In other words, if I don't regret my sin, and I don't ask for forgiveness, and I don't change what I'm doing, God is not going to forgive. It would be like me going, and this would be a ludicrous prayer, but this is exactly what it would be like. God, I'm a liar. I've been lying. I intend to continue lying. I like lying. I'm going to go on lying. But hey, God, forgive me. God's not going to forgive me. God is going to say to me, Michael, when you repent of the lying and you really attempt to change it and you're really sorry for the lying, I'll forgive you. The same is true of individuals down here. I don't know of any passage. I know that, and I was raised like this. And my grandmother always saying, you've got to forgive everybody. My mom and dad, you've got to forgive everybody. That never made sense to me. There were people who did things and they were mean people and they kept on doing them. And then when I started studying the Bible and I realized, no, in all of these passages, 
where God is teaching us forgiveness, repentance, is the stipulation in the passage. Now, if they repent, if they're sorry, if they've changed it, you know, and, and, and I don't mean that somebody's got to come and grovel at my feet, you know, beg you, Michael, forgive me. It's not that. But do I see change in their life? Do I see a difference? Well, then I can forgive. And then God will forgive. If a Christian hasn't repented, are they still supposed to take communion? Let me say a couple of things about that. First of all, as far as communion, it's a public act of worship. We do it. We have to assemble together in order to do it. The Bible teaches that. But at the same time, it's a personal thing between you and God. If you look at 1 Corinthians 11, the idea is let a man judge himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. So I'm not going to, I don't believe in policing people and trying to decide who should take and who should. I'm not qualified for that. For one thing, I can't look into an individual's heart. Only God can do that. And the individual. The second thing, though, is if a Christian hasn't repented, are they still supposed to take it? And I like the way the question is asked. Because the answer would be, are they still supposed to take it? No, they are supposed not to take it, is the point. Because God would have us to be right with Him. God would have us to repent of our sins. And one of the things that God would tell us is, it's not going to do you any good. It's not going to help you at all to do anything in worship to me if you're not repenting. If you're not changing your life. It won't matter how many times you go to church, take communion, give into the basket or anything else. It's not going to help you. Um, What about Esau and his repentance? Boy, Esau. Turn over with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 12 for a moment. And let me go backwards with Esau for a moment. I don't have a lot of time. I wish I did. But I don't have a lot of time with it. I I think I know what the question is asking, and I'll try to answer it quickly. Because if you remember the story of Esau, he sold his birthright. And later, when he came in, and Dad had already, you know, blessed Jacob and all of that. I mean, Esau just broke down and, you know, ain't there nothing for me and all that kind of thing. But I want to, and, and really, with Esau, you know, we could look at the story in Genesis and we could see some differences, maybe some maturity in Esau and all of that kind of thing. But I want to read sort of an epitaph about Esau. If you look at Hebrews chapter 12 and down in verse 14, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Notice that. That's what we're talking about this year. Follow holiness, because you can't see God without it. Looking diligently, verse 15, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. And he uses an example. Lest there be any fornicator or profane, defiled type, unclean type person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. Sort of an epitaph. The last thing the Bible ever says about Esau is, at the very least, he was immature and unwise. At the very least, he didn't consider the blessings of God. But you notice, Esau is being cited here as a person who failed as a way of life. Not one incident. So, what about Esau? I don't know everything about Esau. 
I can see good things in Esau's life. I can see differences in his life as he goes on. I can also see what God says here. And maybe the final word by God is the one thing that he did, the big, huge thing that cost him so much in his life, he never was able to let it go. And because of that, it ate him up. And I think that might very well be what Hebrews 12 is saying. And so the instruction to me would be, don't get caught up in thinking because you've maybe matured, you don't make the same mistakes you made in the past. Don't get caught up in thinking that that is an exchange for real repentance. When you repent, but you still haven't committed to change 100%, like adultery habits, how does God handle that? Does He merely, uh, does He only forget and forgive when you change the sin commit completely? Well, that's a great question, isn't it? In our day and time, in our land, adultery is rampant. But it's also becoming more and more and more accepted. People don't frown on it. They don't look down on it. So it doesn't have the social you know, connotation it used to have. You don't have to be ashamed, quote-unquote, anymore of it. It's something that's acceptable. It's something that's even encouraged. It's something that's glorified in our entertainment. It's something that's looked upon as sophisticated and smart and... You know, if you can do it and get away with it and be cute about it, and maybe wink and laugh and everything else, then it's a wonderful thing. And to help us with all of that, we have pornography that's being proliferated, if I can get the word out, at a rate like never before in history. We have just common entertainment, be it television, movies, the music industry, etc., etc., that all of that says, or all of that serves, is like a bunch of cheerleaders to say, go for it. Now, the question is, you haven't committed to change 100%. How does God handle that? Well, God looks at you and says, you haven't changed that. And then the question becomes, what's in your heart? Are you trying? Are you growing? Are you getting better? Or do you just not care? And God is going to judge us on that basis. And I think I'll leave it at that. If I've done something wrong to someone else, Can I, as a Christian, simply ask God for forgiveness for it? Or must I also go to the person and admit I sinned against him or her before God will forgive me? This was the one question I didn't want anybody to ask. No, not really. I think it's a process. Sometimes, you know, you sin against someone and... You know, especially like in our family, you know how things are. We do things to each other. Maybe we're mad one day. We lose our temper. We say something we shouldn't say. Ten minutes later, we call the person or text them or whatever and say, boy, I'm sorry for that. And, and pretty much it's as simple as that. And I'm going to try to do better, and, and we do. But sometimes we sin against people, and there are all kinds of complicated things like pride and you know, who the person is, what the person will think of me, and all of that. And so, I think a person has to look at this whole situation as a matter of growth. Sometimes, and I will stress that when you can, and if you have the courage and strength and opportunity, just like the Bible says, go to the person and restore agreement quickly. Because it takes care of a whole host of future problems. Now, let's say we haven't done that for whatever reason. Time has gone on. 
You've got two individuals here. One has done the sinning and one has been sinned against. And both of you are going to have to grow and be mature. The person who has done the sinning is going to have to grow to the point where they not grovel at the feet, but do differently. The change is what's important. The being sorry for what they've done is what's important. I'm not out to make someone, you know, spend the rest of their life begging my forgiveness. But at the same time, there's got to be a change. There has to be with God. There has to be with us. Now, on the part of the one who's been sinned against, maybe our initial reaction is, I can't stand that person because of the way they treat me. That's fair. And when it's unjustified, it's more than fair. But at the same time, I've got to be mature. and I've got to look at that individual. And I've got to ask certain questions. And then I've got to be willing to watch for, not just listen for the words out of their mouth, but watch for the difference in their life. Because again, what it's all about is change. When a person changes and they're different, they may not yet have grown to the point of saying, you know, way back there and I did that thing, I really am sorry for it. They may not have gotten there yet. But the action is different. Acknowledge it would be the point. Don't try to hold a grudge. Try to forgive. Two questions. Let me try to get through them quickly. What is the place of uh, forgiveness and the sin that I live in and continue to repent? The place of forgiveness is that God will forgive as long as you are regretting and really trying to change what you're doing. If it is true that every time we sin, we continue to receive forgiveness when we repent and continue in the same sin, what's the essence of Romans 6? Well, that's a great question. In Romans 6, 1 and 2, Paul asked the question, Shall we sin that grace may abound, God forbid? I never can look at sin like, it's okay if I sin because God will forgive. I can never do that. And the end result of that is just like we had about 500 years ago where the abuse was going to a priest and saying, look, I know I'm going to commit adultery with Mary Sue later today, so how much is that going to cost me? Pay for it, and you're already absolved of the sin before you ever commit it. I mean, that, that's all wrong. And so the idea is I've got to really be trying to change something. In my heart, God must see the intention to be different and true regret. Is repentance a gift of God, according to 2 Timothy 2, 24-26, as preached by denominations? Let's read that and close with 2 Timothy 2. Go with me to that passage, if you will. And the question is, is it a gift of God? Well, I'll say it is a gift of God. It's a gift of God that comes through growth from God, God's Word, etc. And a gift from God in the sense that I get to the, the point where I gain the ability to repent. Now let's read the passage, verse 24. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, able to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If God, peradventure, or perhaps, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Let me just answer that quickly for sake of time. There are many things in life where we need God's help to repent. I know I need to change this thing, and I also know I'm too weak on my own to change it. I need God's help, and God will help us, and it will be a gift 
when he does. But he will help us, not just through some miraculous, mystical thing that comes on us, and being, now I'm no longer, whatever, addicted to that thing, that pornography or substance or whatever I was before. No, it takes personal effort. I have to grow. I have to overcome. And so it is a gift where God helps us through helping us help ourselves. Love your questions. They were great questions. Some of them were hard questions, but they were great questions. Um, Thank you very much for submitting them and being part of this lesson today. Maybe you're here today and you're not a child of God. We talked about that. We talked about the need to acknowledge your belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, to repent and to be baptized for forgiveness of your sins. Maybe you have done that. And there's something in your life that you would like to confess and ask even for the forgiveness of people here, to ask certainly for their prayers for strength and for help. If you need to do that, please come while we stand.